Hi, Pastor John here, and I just want to thank you for downloading or streaming this service from North Carolina Baptist Church. We pray that our new online platform allows you and encourages you to interact with one another as far as offering prayer and other concerns that you may have through the service. We also want to invite you, if you want to support what God is doing here at North Carolina Baptist Church, to give online at any time on our website or our app. So enjoy the following message. We pray that it stirs your heart, it stirs your mind for the things of God, and ultimately all for His glory. Welcome to our Sunday morning service, and I, I do pray that you are having a blessed week this week amidst uh, uncertainty and, and confusion in a lot of ways. Uh, I know maybe you are uh, there and you're struggling in some way with what's going on. Maybe you're wrestling with discernment uh, and, and what voices to believe, what what things to kind of follow as far as what people are saying. And, and I know it's kind of a confusing time that way for a lot of people, but I just want to remind you that while we, yes, need to pray for wisdom, we need to play, pray for discernment and direction and guidance, of course. Um, just know that, that there's one truth that will never change. There's one reality that no matter what happens will never change. And that is that Jesus Christ is with you. He, he will never leave you or forsake you if you've received Christ as your Savior. He will be with you, and that He is the truest form of security that we hold on to. Uh, someone shared this last week, a, a little video clip of a message from Billy Graham. Uh, I believe the message was recorded back in the late 50s, early 60s, and he talks about this idea of security. And I love what he says, that, that our security is not found in our finances, it's not found in ourselves, it's not found in our government. It's not found in our relationships. Our security, the, the real reality, the foundation of our understanding of who we are is in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That is who we trust in. When everything else falls away, and by the way, everything in this world can be taken away. All, all of it's temporal. Um, our homes, our, our finances, our, our possessions, all of it can be taken away. But there's one thing that no matter what happens in our world that can never be taken away, and that is the eternal relationship we have with Jesus Christ. And so I want to encourage you, yes, pray for wisdom, uh, have conversations, uh, talk about these things that are concerning you, uh, have opinions on these things, of course, make decisions that you believe are the best decisions for you and your family by God's word and by God's grace. But let's remember that no matter what, the greatest thing we need to be sharing with people is not just our opinion on something, but the reality that Jesus Christ died for their sins, was buried and rose again, and that no matter what happens in this life, the decision of what we do with Jesus Christ will greatly affect our eternal life. And so I pray that above all things, that while we have our conversations and our opinions and all these things, that we remember that Jesus Christ is the key, that we must make sure we're sharing him with those in need. Now, I'm so excited today to jump into God's word. I'm so thankful to gather with you, even through this technology here today, and to share God's word and to worship with you. I pray that you are in God's word consistently and enjoying that relationship with him. I do want to share one quick thing before we get to the message this morning, uh, and that is just how thankful I am for this last week. Uh, this last Wednesday, we were able to host a blood drive for the American Red Cross. 
And, and I was just excited beyond belief to be able to open our doors, to be able to have people coming in and to give those donations and so that they can be um, given to the Red Cross and the Red Cross can obviously use it for those in need. Uh, one of the things that were amazing about Wednesday was that we only had about four days to promote the event. It was confirmed, uh, the date was confirmed to us uh, two Fridays ago. And so we started promoting it, we started pushing it, and we had a little over 30 people that probably came in, uh, 29 actual donations that were given to the Red Cross. Uh, some, unfortunately, weren't able to give a donation for various reasons, which does happen at times. Uh, but I just want to say to all those that came in, uh, to those that tried to give a donation, to those that were able to give a donation, uh, to those that helped and volunteered and served, uh, thank you so, so much for all of that. It is such a great blessing to, to be a part of a church that loves our community and wants to see an impact for Christ. And so thank you so much to the Red Cross for letting us be a part of that and kind of partnering with them for that day. Uh, but also thank you to those that volunteered, those that helped, and those that came in. It was so cool, too, to see a handful of people, quite a few people, actually, that weren't really connected to our church but just came because this is the location of the drive. And uh, maybe it was their first time ever walking into a church. I don't know. Uh, but I'm just praying that God would work in and through that. And I pray that we were able to make an impression for Christ on them and to let them know that God loves them. And so be praying for that, obviously. But I'm just so thankful for all that we were able to experience this last week and to watch God do in and through our ministry here. Um, I also want to say if you've not checked out other videos, you can get on obviously line here and you can see Wednesday night services, Sunday evening services. And so please be checking those out when you have time to do that. Uh, we want to encourage you to be in God's Word, gathered together, studying His Word together as the body of Christ. Uh, let's go ahead and do this. I want to open in prayer, and then we're going to jump into week four of our series, Things Jesus Never Said. Uh, and, and let me say as well, um, thank you so much to Pastor Greg for sharing God's Word with us last Sunday morning. Uh, it was an amazing message and a great way to kind of hear that, that we need to be careful that we don't just do what makes us happy, but that we make sure we're doing what pleases God and that uh, holiness and happiness are not mutually exclusive. And so thank you so much to Pastor Greg uh, for his words to us uh, and for his heart for our ministry here, but also for our student ministry. Uh, Pastor Greg has a great heart for our teens, and it's so exciting to see him uh, just encouraging them and working with them even through this difficult time. And uh, I'm just personally thankful for that as a parent of one of those students uh, to see his influence in, in my student's life, in my teen's life, uh, or soon-to-be teen, I guess. He's in the youth group, but not quite a teen yet, so let's slow down a little bit. But uh, to see the influence there has been really, really great. So thank you so much to him. Let's pray, and then we'll get into God's Word together. Father, thank you so much for... Uh, all that you're doing in our lives, and thank you for this ministry that we can be a part of. Thank you for your word, which leads us and guides us no matter what the season we find ourselves in may be. Father, thank you for being consistent and constant. Thank you for being the truth, the life, and the way, the one that we go to when everything seems confusing. We don't have to feel stressed or pulled or pressured. No matter what happens around us, we have a constant. We have a foundation that is firm and secure, and nothing and no one can separate us from your love. I pray that while we have conversations, Lord, and we share our opinions and our ideals and, and everything else, Lord, I pray that at the core of it, we remember that as followers of Christ, it's about speaking the truth in love. And I pray that if we're passionate about our opinions, we're even more passionate about your gospel, because our opinions won't change anyone's eternal state, but your gospel 
will save someone and redeem someone from their sins that they might have eternal life for eternity. And so I pray that we would just have that understanding and be open and honest with people and share the truth of the gospel, seeing disciples made for your glory. And that is why we are here, Lord, to glorify you. Father, we ask that you lead God and direct in all that is said and done. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, this morning, as I said, we're finishing up our series, Things Jesus Never Said. We are in week four of that. If you've missed any of those other messages, please obviously check those out. Um, but I want to encourage you this morning, we've covered a lot of ground in things that Jesus would never say. Uh, we talked about the first week that you don't have to forgive them uh, as something that Jesus never said. He never said you don't have to forgive them. He didn't say you won't have bad days. And he didn't say do what makes you happy, as we talked about last week. And so Jesus said a lot of things, but as we've been saying the last couple of weeks, when we look at the things that he didn't say, it even makes those things he did say more powerful. Uh, to get us thinking in the right direction this morning, I want to ask a question uh, to kind of get us in that mindset of what we're going to be talking about this morning. And the question is this, is there a part of you, maybe deep down inside, that actually enjoys seeing people get what they deserve? Someone does something and, and they get busted or they get the ticket or they get whatever and you actually find joy and you actually think to yourself, man, good, I'm glad you got what you deserve. Many phrases and sayings have been going around in our culture for a long time that speak to this idea. Uh, you made your bed and you've got to lay in it, right? You probably even can finish some of these right there. Uh, you get what you deserve. Right? These are the things we hear people saying, we've even thought them, and maybe there's a part of us, and I know maybe you're not there, maybe this is just me, maybe this is a Pastor John problem, but for me, there are times where I have to be so careful because I actually get joy out of seeing people get what I think they deserve. I'll give you an example, and this will be one that maybe maybe you can relate with. Maybe it's just me. Again, I'm, I'm kind of different. If you haven't caught on yet, I'm not exactly what you call normal. You know, I have my own quirks and everyone does, but uh, just ask my wife and she'll tell you I'm, I'm probably not very normal some days. But have you ever been driving down the road being a good law-abiding citizen? You're doing 55 miles an hour on M53. You're just minding your own business. Man, you're just, you know, you're a law-abiding citizen. You're just doing what you got to do. And this person goes just barreling by you at like 80 miles an hour. And maybe even as they're passing you because they think you're going a little too slow because you're going the speed limit, they let you know that they think you're number one in their book. And as they go by letting you know they're number one, which always makes you feel good, they, they fly by you and you start thinking to yourself, like, you know, I'm a steering wheel squeezer, right? You ever, you ever get angry when you're driving and you don't want to say anything because you don't want to appear to be unspiritual, right? Or you don't want to appear to be whining about it, but you start just squeezing that steering wheel and you start just kind of... Okay, that's me sometimes. And so you're driving on the road. This, guy blow, this person blows by you and you start thinking, oh, man, where's the police officer now? You know, they need to get what they deserve. And then you drive about five or six miles and there you see him on the side of the road. And that police officer did pull him over and you see that light just to going, right? The siren going and there's the guy, that person I should say, sitting in the car and you know they're getting a ticket, right? The police officer's in their car doing their stuff and you drive by and there's a part of you, maybe if you're like me, there's a part of you that just kind of smiles and thinks, well, good, you deserve that. I'm actually glad you got what you deserve. See, the reality is that many of us, when we, even though we don't want to admit it, many of us can think that way. We love seeing people get what they 
deserve, except when it's us, right? We love seeing people get what they deserve. We want to see them get what they deserve, except when it's us, when, it, when it's me. Now I don't want them to, I don't want to get what I deserve. I mean, I've heard it said, and I think it's still true, um, that grace is the number one thing that we are least likely to give to someone else. But it's the number one thing that we want when we're struggling or we're hurting or we blow it. It's the number one thing we want. We want grace when we blow it and we mess up and we know we did. We don't want what we deserve. We want grace. We want mercy. But when it's someone else, we're least likely to give them that grace. And we're more likely to say, no, you should get what you deserve. This morning, I want us to realize as we kind of finish up this thing, the, the, the series, Things Jesus Never Said, Things That Jesus Didn't Say. Uh, one of the things I want to end with that Jesus didn't say was that you always get what you deserve. I'm so thankful that Jesus did not say you always get what you deserve. The truth is, with God, there is this wonderful gift called grace. Because there is grace, we receive that grace. Those that don't know Christ in this life are receiving a form of grace. They're, it's called common grace. God is being good to them in some ways. He's not pleased with their sin. He's not rewarding their sin. Uh, they, they are going to suffer consequences for their sin. We do suffer consequences for our sins in this life. But somebody that's outside of Christ is receiving grace because God didn't just wipe them out. God is allowing them to breathe. God is allowing them to live. And he's graciously giving them time to repent and to turn from their sin. Those of us that are followers of Christ, we've received the grace of God, not just in this life, but in the life to come. You see, in reality, we don't fully get and always get what we deserve in this life because God, again, is being gracious to us, even though we don't deserve it. But then when it comes to our eternity, we definitely don't get what we deserve as followers of Christ. To unpack this a little bit, I want to look at a story in Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23. Chapter 23. So Luke 23 in verse 32. We're jumping into kind of the middle of this passage. I'm going to unpack a lot of it, uh, but I encourage you to read all of Luke 23. We're coming to the end of the life of Christ in Luke. And so here we're going to see the crucifixion. We're going to read about some things that happen around that. But I want to key in on a key part of the crucifixion. And maybe you've heard this before, but it's dealing with those that are being crucified with Christ. So there are two individuals that are being crucified at the same time as Christ. And I want to unpack what that looks like as we understand as best we can by God's grace that we don't always get what we deserve. You see, Jesus was clear on that. The reality is you don't always get what you deserve. And I want to see how that unfolds here in Luke 23. And so Luke 23 and verse 32 says this, and there were also two other malefactors or criminals led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, there, there they crucified him and the criminals, the malefactors. So they crucified Christ and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. So get the scene here. Many of us have seen this. There's, you know, a hill and there's three crosses. And we always think of that as the crucifixion of Christ. Now, the reality is in this exact account, we're kind of zeroing in on the place where Christ was crucified. There was him and two others. But the reality is there could have been many people crucified around this same time in this same area, just not necessarily in that close proximity to Christ. The reality is 
the Romans, as well as many other or other cultures as well, crucified many other people. I mean, there's stories of hundreds, if not thousands of people that have been crucified or were crucified uh, during that time. But I want us to key in on this story to understand that in this moment, not only is Jesus Christ being crucified, but these two criminals are being crucified. And I want to talk about how that plays into our understanding this morning. Uh, the reality is, we have to understand why we don't always get what we deserve. If it's true that we don't always get what we deserve, why is that? And part of that reason, or really the reason maybe you could say, is because of what we read here about the crucifixion of Christ. So let's understand this crucifixion just a little bit clearer. Now, I know that there are some that may be younger listening to this, and so we're not going to get into, go into great, great detail, but I encourage you maybe on your own to really look into this to see the reality of what Christ went through for us. You see, Jesus suffered crucifixion by the Romans. This form of punishment was violent, painful, and gory. It was a form of torture and death that had been around for a long time before the Romans, and culture says, tradition says, the Romans found this way of crucifixion, this, or this way of torture that is called crucifixion, and they, as you, were, were, as you would think, they perfected it. They kind of made it more efficient, which is really sad to think about, but they basically took this form and they perfected it. They made it even more violent in some ways. And so crucifixion begins with first a scourging. This is a beating where the person being crucified would be whipped. Uh, this whip would contain uh, leather strips, and at the end of these strips would be glass or uh, pieces of iron, sometimes rock, things of this nature, to really inflict much harm on the person. Then the person, after this beating, which could even uh, would almost kill them there, uh, after this beating, they would carry their cross to the place to be crucified. In this place, we read it as Calvary, right? That's the location at which they were actually crucified. So they would carry their cross from the place of the beating to the place to be crucified. They would be nailed to the cross through their hands and feet, and then they would hang there for roughly three to four days, depending on the individual that was being crucified. The, the number one way you die in crucifixion, there's a lot of things that play into this, but basically you suffocate. Because your body is hanging there, and as you're hanging there, you begin to kind of sink down onto your legs. And so what they would do is they would push up with their legs to try to alleviate some of that. They could catch their breath for as long as possible before the pain was too much, and then they would sink back down. And so a lot of times people would go mad. They would actually go crazy because of just out in the sun. They're baking in the sun. They're not being nourished. All of these things are happening to them. They've already suffered a, a great deal of blood loss from the beating. And so, again, there's a lot of things that play into their death, but suffocation was really the primary cause of their death. And so what they would do on day four, if you were still alive, is they would come around with clubs or hammers, and they would break the knees of the person that were being crucified. So that then, as the Romans viewed it as, would actually be merciful because they're allowing the person to actually die. You see, crucifixion was the most violent, shameful, even expensive. I mean, they're, they're paying for these Roman guards to, to watch these individuals that are on the crosses day and night. They're there guarding them, involved in the process. So it was shameful, it was violent, it was expensive. It was a horrible way to be put to death. And it was reserved for the worst of the worst criminals against Rome. And I want to focus on this just for a second. Thinking of what Jesus didn't say, let me ask you this. What would you have said? What would I have said to those that were crucifying me, that were inflicting this much harm and pain in my life? What would I have said to these individuals? Well, here's the reality. Jesus didn't say, Father, send the angels and destroy them. 
Uh, he could have. He could have called for a legion of angels to come. I mean, thousands of angels could have descended upon that moment and completely eradicated those that were causing harm to Christ. But he didn't say that. Jesus also didn't say, Father, I can't do this for them. I'm done. I quit. I, I thought I could, but I can't. Jesus didn't say that. So what does Jesus say? Well, in verse 34 of Luke 23, Jesus says this, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Man, that's powerful. Of all the things that Jesus could have said, of all the things that I would have said or you would have said, the way in which we would have said, you know what, no, you did this to me, you deserve this. Jesus cries out and says, Father, forgive them. They don't even understand what they're doing. Now, this Father, forgive them doesn't mean that they were all saved in that moment, they were all going to heaven. It was Jesus showing compassion to them and he's desiring saying, you can be forgiven. You can be forgiven of this, even though it seems like the worst possible thing you could do. In this scene, we see Jesus being crucified, but remember, he's not alone. There's two criminals there with Christ. These men, as we've already kind of established, were obviously not just low-level criminals. They weren't pickpockets. They weren't just low-level thieves. They apparently or seemingly were men that were violent or at least high-level criminals. They'd done something that warranted this level of torture because of their crimes against Rome. These two men responded very differently to Christ. We see this in Luke 23, verses 39 through 41. And you can read it there. I'm going to kind of highlight verses 40 through 41. Another translation, uh, we, we were reading the King James before, another translation says it this way. But the other criminal rebuked him. See, one criminal begins to mock Christ and, and to basically make fun of him and say, if you're the Savior, if you're the Messiah, then save yourself and save us. He's ridiculing Christ. But the other criminal, listen to this, but the other criminal rebuked him, says this, don't you fear God? He said, since you are under the same sentence, you are under the same sentence, so imagine this. The one criminal is like, oh, you're the son of God? I don't believe it. If you're the son of God, then save yourself. And while you're at it, save us. That's pretty arrogant, pretty proudful, pretty, pretty daring to say that. But the other guy is on the other side, and he says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't you fear God? And, and by the way, don't you get it? You're in the same boat. You're in the same sentence. Listen to what he says. We, meaning the criminals, not Jesus, but the one criminal is saying to the other criminal, you and I. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. That's powerful. The criminal looks at the one guy who's mocking Christ and says, Hey, hey don't you fear God? It's almost like saying, don't you know who you're talking to? Don't you know what you're saying? Listen, you and I, we did things. We deserve this cross. We deserve this torture. We did some things, and this is what our deeds have earned us. But this man, the man Jesus Christ, he doesn't deserve any of this. He doesn't deserve this, but we do. One rebuked and mocked Christ, while the other realized he earned his place on his cross. But Christ did not deserve the punishment. What happens next is an amazing moment in this criminal's life, and a great example to us to understand that we don't always get what we deserve. We see the cry of a sinner. The man, the criminal that cries out and actually rebukes the other criminal for mocking Christ. This man spoke truth about Christ. 
but he was also honest about himself. He spoke truth about Christ, that he didn't deserve to be on the cross. He did nothing wrong, but he spoke truth about himself and said, no, no, I know my sin. I know I've done wrong. I know I deserve this. He asks a simple question of Christ. Why does he ask a simple question of Christ? Because he knew he could do nothing else. Uh, what other options does this guy have? He's nailed to a cross. He can do nothing else. All he can do is cry out for the mercy of Christ. Because he had a fear of God, I believe, because he actually questions the other man and says, don't you have a fear of God? And then he expresses uh, faith to some degree in who Christ is, which I believe shows that this criminal actually had some degree of a fear of God. He understood, I need to fear God and understand who God is and who I am in my sin. You see, because he had a fear of God, he cries out to Christ that Jesus would, quote, remember me when you enter your kingdom. Verse 42 of Luke 23. Remember me when you enter your kingdom. This man could do nothing else. He could do no religious work because he was bound to the cross. He could not give an offering because he was bound. He was, he was, he was nailed to the cross. He could not get down and do anything. He could not get baptized. He could not join a church. He could not, quote, turn over a new leaf. He couldn't take seven steps to being a better person. He couldn't do anything. He is bound to the cross, dying for his sin, dying for his, his crimes, being tortured. He could do nothing else. And all he had, all he could do was cry out to Jesus Christ for mercy, realizing in his sin that he deserved wrath and judgment, repenting of that, saying, listen, I know I've done wrong. He's not okay with his sin like the other guy is. He's realizing he did wrong and he cries out for grace. And I love that Jesus didn't say, that's great that you cried out, that's great that you know that you've done wrong, but I'm really sorry, you're just too far gone. I'm really sorry, but, but you're beyond saving. I mean, I can't save someone like you. And see, here's the, 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 the thing we fall into as believers. Sometimes in our culture, we elevate some sins higher than others. And we actually subconsciously, maybe we don't verbalize it, but we actually think there are certain crimes that once somebody commits those crimes, there's no way they could ever be saved. So what, what is that crime for you? What is that thing that when you hear somebody does this or that thing, maybe it's violence against children, maybe it's something else, whatever it is, and it just in the pit of your stomach, you just, your stomach just turns, you just get angry, and you start crying out, man, they need to get what they deserve. I hope they get what they deserve. Do you realize you're basically saying, you know what, man, God can't save you. You're too far gone. I'm so glad Jesus didn't say that though here. I'm so glad that Jesus heard the cry of a sinner crying out for forgiveness and he responded, not by saying you're too far gone, but he gives him grace. Jesus said to this man in Luke 23, 43, today, this day, today, you will be with me in paradise. In essence, your sins are forgiven. You will be with me forever. You're, we're going to be together. Which is, by the way, the whole point of Jesus coming, right? To restore his creation. To restore mankind to a place of eternal relationship. John chapter 14. That where I am, there you may be also. He was inviting this man, this criminal, being crucified on the cross next to him, to say, I'm inviting you into this relationship because you've cried out to me. I will receive you. Not because of what you've done. You can't do anything. But I'm going to receive you because I am dying for you. You realize that Jesus was dying for those two men? 
One mocked and ridiculed, rejecting Christ. One received by faith the gift of salvation. I want you to imagine for a moment, and I know we're running long on time here, so I'm going to wrap this up, but I want you to imagine for a moment. Just imagine if the Roman guards at the foot of the cross heard this. They heard that Jesus said, hey, today you'll be with me in paradise. Basically saying, hey, your, your sins are forgiven. Imagine for a moment if the Roman guards said, you know what? Maybe this really is the Messiah. Maybe he really is the Son of God. And he just pardoned this guy. So then what right do I have to continue to crucify this man? Imagine for a moment. Now we know this didn't happen, but imagine for a moment. The Roman guard says, hey, come on down. And he actually takes him off the cross. Takes this criminal who was once willing and, and ready to die for his own sin, to die for his deeds, now receiving this invitation into relationship with Jesus Christ, is taken off the cross. And the guy says, you know what? You were set for death, but I'm going to give you a second chance, and now you can go live the rest of your life. Imagine for a moment what that man's life would look like. And what do you think this guy would talk about with his friends the rest of his life? What do you think he'd be passionate about the rest of his life? If that could have happened after receiving the news from Christ that his sins were forgiven, basically he has a relationship with God now. What do you think he would be about the rest of his life? What would his desires be? What would his passions be? What would his time be spent doing? I believe if he was allowed to live in this life, if he was allowed to live, he would have lived for Christ in every area of his life because he realized he was deserving of wrath and condemnation, but Christ showed him grace and didn't give him what he deserved, which was death, but rather gave him life. You see, this is our story today. This is our story. You and I, if we are in Christ, this is our story. We were set for death and hell and we were saved. We were redeemed. I'm going to give you a passage. I want you to write it down. Ephesians chapter 2. Really, the whole chapter. But primarily, verses 3 through 4 and then verses 5 through 9. Read those two sections. Really, verses 3 through 9. We'll say it that way. I want you to read that. I want you to hear the words of the Apostle Paul to the church of Ephesus when he says, hey, you were like them. You were just like them. You were in your sin and you were under wrath, but God being gracious and wanting to show grace and mercy to all ages allowed you to be saved. And he quickened you. He made you alive. And how did he do that? Not by your works so that you could boast, but in the gift of grace in Christ. We deserve judgment and hell for our sin, but when we cried out for Christ and cried out for mercy and forgiveness, he gave us what we didn't deserve. Psalm 103, verses 10 through 12. Listen to this uh, from the New Living Translation. I love the way it translates this and kind of puts this in this vernacular. It says this, He, God, does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. Do you hear that? For his unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. When you receive Christ as your Savior, He removes your sins and He doesn't deal with you as a sinner in your sin. He sees you as a son or daughter in Christ. The reality is that in Christ we are given grace and eternal life. We don't deserve it, can never earn it. I don't deserve His grace. I'll be honest with you, I don't deserve to be the pastor of this church. You might say, well, I can't believe it. I don't deserve to be a pastor. Are you kidding me? 
I've made so many foolish mistakes in my life. I've not lived perfectly for Christ. I've not done everything that God has ever asked me to do. I've, there was moments in my life in the past where I lived in rebellion to God. I didn't know him. I didn't know I was doing that. But I didn't deserve this. I don't deserve to be a pastor. But that's the beauty of it. Even when we don't deserve it, he gives us his grace. And he invites us into that relationship. And he says, now watch me use you, even though you're imperfect, even though you fall, even though you have your, your, your flaws and your, your faults. Watch me use you as you continually put your eyes on Christ and look for him to continue to shape you and form you. And none of this is to say that we should go out and sin willingly. No, no, no. What I'm saying is, if we know who we really are, we know we don't deserve eternal life. We know we don't deserve the forgiveness of sins. The title of this morning's message, Jesus didn't say, you always get what you deserve. Now, why did I say it that way? You always get what you deserve. Jesus didn't say that. Because if you are listening this morning and have not received Christ as your Savior, one day you will leave this world and stand before God, your judge. And if you stand before God, apart from Christ, in your sin, he will give you what your sins have earned. He will give you what you deserve. That is death, separation from God for all eternity in a place called hell. Let me invite you and encourage you to know that you need to realize that you have been given grace, an opportunity, an invitation, not to do something for God to earn your salvation, but merely receive his free gift. The reality is he loves you and wants you to be with him for all eternity. He wants you in his heaven and he invites you into that relationship through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you are unable, incapable of doing anything to merit salvation because you're not perfect. I'm not perfect, and that's all we need is grace. Here's the truth. If you are in Christ, are you thankful that you have been given what you don't deserve? Are you rejoicing in the fact that you deserve death and hell, and yet Christ came and offered you grace, you received that grace, by his invitation, and now, praise God, you are set for heaven, that you have received what you don't deserve and never could earn, then the reality is this week, I want to encourage you to share that message with someone else, to share that truth with someone else, that they would know that they don't have to die in their sin and receive what they deserve, that they can find grace and receive what they don't deserve. Let's pray and ask God to lead God and direct in all these things. Father, we thank you for your love and your mercy and we thank you for the cross. Lord, all that you went through and endured physically, emotionally, spiritually, uh, Lord, it's beyond comprehension. But I'm so thankful that in this moment we see a snapshot to the heart of, of your, your love for us. That even while you were dying on the cross, that you were willing to extend forgiveness and an invitation to a criminal who by his own admission, deserved the cross. And so I pray that you would be glorified in all of this. I pray that we as your followers would go out into our communities this week and, and be passionate about sharing the truth that, that people can be forgiven, that there's, a, that there's an invitation to receive Christ so that you would be glorified and that they would be blessed by knowing you and knowing what it means to be forgiven. Father, thank you for all that you do for us, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in this morning. Have a great day, and we'll see you tonight.